Hello and welcome to How to Win the Lottery Season 2, Episode 8, End Zone by Don DeLillo. I'm Joey Lewandowski. Hello, Joey. You are? Bobby Fisher. And Bob, after the terror of Guile's Goat Boy wrecking havoc, wreaking havoc, we've had a lot. We've, we've both said a lot of words incorrectly tonight. Now I'm trying to. Now I'm not me. Patreon.com/slash/lotterypod. You're all Bob's gonna mistakes. Going to have to pay five dollars to find out the words that I've said incorrectly today. Bob said two words, corrected himself, and then realized that both words were wrong. Anyway, talking after the terror of Guile's Goat Boy wreaking havoc on us for the last month we then rebounded with what still i don't know i'm not sure but maybe my favorite book period it took a bit of a hit for you you read it this time and you thought hey i don't like this as much no i like it but i'm just like i think the first time because it was the first delillo book i read and i'm like this is new and yeah, fresh it's a, it's a, sho- a style shock to you i think because i've reread in the last year for this and just for fun this and white noise and i think white noise is clearly better but, yeah it's a more complete book but this there's stuff about this that I really love in ways that like I appreciate white noise is better, but this connects with me in different ways. And well, this is also a more extreme version of a style because it's less focused on plot. It's less focused on antagonists. There's no there's no bad guy in it. It's a hangout book. Yeah, in a way, which is weird because it's a hangout book that has very large issues at its core. So what is Endzone about? Gary Harkness is a uh, tailback for a university in Texas called Logos, um, which of course means logic. The school accepts a new tailback named Taft Robinson, who is black. and Who's the only black student on the team, and maybe in the school? Yeah, which you're led to believe is going to be an enormous plot issue. And then it just... Nothing comes of it really at all. Um, although Which I think it's another reason why I like the book because there is r- very little conflict. But there's like, um, you know, th- there are identity politics issues threaded throughout the book, but those identity politics issues aren't centered in racism. They're centered in ideas of what identity is and how you come about it. All the conflict in the book is abstract conflict. Um, so you have uh, uh, Taft Robinson is the the black recruit. Which you're led to believe that that's going to be a a issue of conflict, which it's not. You're also led to believe that the issue of there being a quote unquote queer on the team is going to be a conflict, and it's not. It doesn't like people bring it up and they're like, "Hey, did you hear that there's queer?" On there's the team? three pages of gay panic, and it's never even. Yeah, and then they're just like they never find out who it might be, and it's never brought up again, and nobody seems to. But care I think that also goes to a bigger thing that Delillo's not, not that, but like. Just the the way the, the the dialogue, the conversations in this book of just like a bunch of dudes just like saying dumb shit and not like yeah. and just like saying things. And we'll get to and, that. And incredibly intelligent things. Yeah. Dumb shit like counterbalanced with yep. things that are like intelligent, but like also not intelligent. Like inte- intelligent sounding but flaky. You know the psychomythic stuff is like yeah, I don't know if that stuff means anything actually, but it's it sounds smart. Well, I mean, it, there is one scene where Gary smokes weed in this movie, or not in this movie, Jesus in this book, but like. It's basically just like stoner philosophy for a lot of it, right? It's just like, yeah, there it, it either sounds profound or is profound. And it's hard to tell because they're all everything said with the same amount of weight and gravitas. Yeah, uh, it's very it's very flat book, very monotone. Two football, two tailbacks on the team, um, and it goes through the 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 uh, season, the football season. There's a little romance, um, and we uh, the, the the core of the book I would say is the juxtaposition between uh, this idea of football as a complex system and the idea of nuclear war as a complex system. And the way that language functions within all things uh, is I think it's largely a book about language, but that's not plot wise. We've pretty much done the entire plot right now. Yep. And structurally, I mean, I mentioned White Noise before, and I I mentioned this to you after I read White Noise. And I think you were like, oh, I never really think about that. But like, they're both structured the same way that there's build up to an event Mm -hmm. and then there's the event and then there's the come down from the event. So in this, it's like. 130 pages or maybe 100 pages getting up to the, like the marquee football game of the year and then there's like a 35 or 40 page chunk of the football game and then after the football game and in white noise it leads up to the toxic airborne event what's the thing is that is that what it is yeah and then there's the actual event and then there's the come down from it and like it's structured in three parts both of them and it's just like it's strange that like the two books that are that i like the most maybe by him i mean i haven't read a ton of his but follow the same pattern, but they work. It doesn't feel like a knockoff of one or the other. Yeah, they're very, very different books. Yeah. I also think, you mentioned this on the 
not a preview episode, but last episode when we were talking about this, that this is a book largely about language. And when the first time I read it, I don't think I picked up on that at all. Because I think you can read this and not even like pay attention to that. But if you look for it, if you read it looking for that, it's everywhere. It's all over the place. Yeah. No, I, you, I think to, to avoid language, you'd have, I, I don't know. I feel like you'd have to go out of your way to avoid language. Well, I don't think it's avoiding language. I think it's like, I don't think that you would necessarily pick up on it because I didn't pick up on it as a theme, as a mm-hmm. through line. Because I think once you see that idea into people's minds, yeah, it's everywhere. It's talking about German. It's talking about the language of football. It's talking about you know people speaking like literally. I'm I'm learning to speak differently. I'm use, I'm no longer using contractions. I'm speaking object predicate whatever in every sentence I'm doing. Right. Yeah, and there's oh, so let's talk about Billy, who's learning, who's taking a class of uh, a, a class entirely in German called the Untellable, and he's uh, memorizing German poetry and uh, German texts, and he's repeating them over and over with great depth, and he gains a lot of comfort from it, um, a lot of comfort from this idea of uh, saying these words in in almost uh, ritualistic ways. And the reason why it functions for him is because he doesn't know what those words mean, right? It's a bunch of language repeated that has, it's, it's a bunch of uh, signifiers that have no sign, right? So he's, he's uh, repeating this thing over and over again, and it gives him comfort to be part of the ritual without having the context for the ritual. People keep bringing up that course you're taking, the untellable. I keep hearing about that course. Nobody talks about it, but I keep hearing. So do I, Ted Just said. There's not much I can say about it, Billy said. You can just tell us what goes on. We delve into the untellable. How deep, Bobby Island said. It's hard to tell. I don't think anybody knows how deep the untellable is. We've done a certain amount of delving. We plan to delve some more. That's about all I can tell you. Yeah, and it, it's religion, right? Like it's belief, it's comfort, it's sure. Yeah, and after after the uh, after the lost eccentrics, they're talking with with Billy about it, and it, he says German words gave him comfort, though not as much as they used to when he didn't know what they meant. Even so, though he used the word like unfortunately, like unfortunately, I picked up a few words of German. Yeah, as he learns more of it, he becomes less comfortable with it, which, like, to use your religious metaphor, that's how I think a lot of us felt about religion, right? When we were little kids, church gave us great comfort, and religion gave us great comfort because we were not tuned into the complexities of God and the complexities of what our religions had done as imperialist forces in the world and and sometimes even genocidal forces in the world. And, and capitalist forces. And, yeah, and capitalist. And we and we didn't have this relationship with religion. All we knew was that God protected us and and maybe shamed us a little bit. But like, And you went to a beautiful building once a week and like there was just like And we're bored out of your fucking head. Yeah. Right? And but there was some there's for a lot of people there's great comfort in that. But like as you get older and you start to like think of the complexities of those things and you learn more about it, it becomes less comfortable. Once there's a sign to attach to the signifier, it becomes something that you have to investigate for and you have the context for it and it becomes something that is uh, a little more uncomfortable. And I think the smart thing that Delillo does here with our not really narrator, but central character in Gary Harkness is that he's a fuck up, that he is someone who has flunked out of or left four or five schools. I wrote it down because I'm like, there's so many to remember. He starts at Syracuse and he just like barricades himself in a dorm room with a girl who wants to escape. And they're like, this is not healthy. You got to leave. Yeah. And then it goes to Penn State. And he's like, this is boring. Every day is the same. I can't do this anymore. Goes to Michigan and kills someone accidentally. Goes to Miami first. Oh, Miami. Okay. Becomes obsessed with books about death and destruction. And then just like, I can't do this anymore. Then he goes to Michigan and not like intentionally, but like he gets in on a tackle on a kid in football. Three guys tackle a kid. The kid dies and he leaves that school too. So Logos is his fifth school and he's ostensibly a sophomore in this. So like it's very bouncing around because by the end of the book, he becomes the captain. He's like, I thought that was a senior thing. He's like, well, you're you're the captain. So like he's going to be a, he's a rising junior. So he's been in five schools in like a year plus. The fact that he is so intelligent but aimless, I think grounds us in a nice like he's smart and we should respect him. But also like we, we don't have to take things too seriously. Yeah, I agree with that. That makes sense. Meanwhile, Taft, who comes from Brooklyn, who is from Columbia, feels like he's battling demons that we don't really know about until he, like, shaves his head and disappears. And then, like, there's a conversation with the last, like, 10 pages. But it's like, he's just God's gift to humanity, like this, like, amazingly fast, talented player who we don't know why he's at this no-name school in the middle of nowhere, Texas. 
and then you're like, oh, because he's dealing with some shit. In well, kind of in 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 the in the sense of uh, in the Giles Goboy sense, he is another black character that is denied a voice, but his voicelessness in this in this book seems seems a little bit powerful. Like he's he's almost like mythical. He doesn't seem to be de- being denied a voice so much as he's denying others his voice. Like his his power is derived through his athleticism, sure, but also through his silence, right? Which is another linguistic thing, right? If he were in there talking to people and people were getting to know him and he was using language so that they understood him better, he would become less uh, intimidating, less godlike, less all of those things. I feel like if the book were told from his perspective, and I I hope this isn't, I hope I'm not making this comparison just because it's another black character, but I feel like it would be like Open City, which is like him walking around like monologuing to himself. I'm like, this is so fucking boring. Like, he's got things to say, but I feel like he's so internal that it would be boring from his perspective. Oh, because he's not talking to people? Yeah. Maybe. Sure. And I feel like we just had, I struggled with Open City because it's just like, there's got to be more than this. Yeah, I don't, but Gary's doing that too, kind of. He's just talking to people and he's joking around. But I think Gary's also kind of an idiot Mm -hmm. in like an endearing way. Yeah. And I think that's what works. He's just like, he just wants to be outside with his like, his fat girlfriend, and just, like, hang out. Yeah. Okay, let's talk a little bit about that fat girlfriend, because you said that, like, you were, yeah, like, uh, like I was going to bail you out of saying that, so. But that's, like, that's her, that's her trait. That's her one character trait, basically. Wealthy and overweight. Yeah, she's beautiful, um, but she doesn't want the responsibility of beauty, so she abandons her identity, right? She, she abandons her identity by... Uh, gaining a bunch of weight on purpose and and doesn't want to be beautiful. And then at the end, she retreats back into that identity by losing weight. So she, we can compare her a little bit to... um, Her name's Mina Corbett. We can compare her a little bit to uh, the, the, is the roommate's name Bloomberg? I don't remember. Um, But the blue, his, uh, Gary's roommate is trying to quote, unjew himself. Yeah. Um, He's trying to uh, divorce himself from an identity that was sort of uh you know all of our identities are are put upon us by by whatever we're born into right whether it be uh genetically or culturally or or whatever like those are all things that that come to us but he seems to be largely identifying via language again because he talks about when he's talking about um undoing himself he's mostly referring to language you take out he says quote you take out the urbanisms the question marks all that folk wisdom wisdom the melodies in your speeches the inverted sentences you use a completely different set of words and phrases like the way to move away from an identity because he's I, I think he's largely talking about um uh like yiddish uh uh syntax locution and things like that which is like you know you want i should and things of that nature and he's he's consciously rearranging his syntaxes and his his word choices and the way that he presents himself to make himself appear less Jewish. And he's stranded himself in Texas where there are maybe no other Jews um, to, to do that, um, to find his own wh- whatever identity he might. Well, I think be what's for and that's sort of thematic and symbolic and found all throughout this that I think everyone to some extent or other is here to set a new path. And what they kind of all realize is that for better or worse, like they are who they are, like the roommate, the, the, the teammate who's trying to lose weight to become a better manager is like, I'm better when I'm heavy. Like that's, I'm better. That's Bloomberg. That's the same. The same guy. But like, yeah. it's also, it's the same, it's the same thing, right? Or like Mina trying to gain weight to hide who she is or Taft trying to run away from his thing or, you know, Gary trying to it just, it's all the same thing. It's all, you kind of are who you are. And like, you can like set up a new persona, but like at the end of the day, you're fooling yourself. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I, like, I think identity in the book is so, is so like, it's in such a liminal space. It, I think that it's like, you know, transitory in a way. Um, but yeah, the, the, there is this notion of you can't really run away from who you truly are. Um, although you can use language to mask who you truly, truly are, maybe. Yeah. So what do you love about Enzone? Enzone is Delillo's second novel, which feels crazy. That it's like, he's yeah, it's this a lot, good this it, early. It's a lot better than his first novel. Americana? Yeah, in, in, in my opinion. Um, is White Noise considered his best book? Or Underworld? Yeah, one of those. White Noise or Underworld. Ma- Mao 2 gets a lot of press, too. White Noise is like his ninth. Mao 2 is like his 11th. And Underworld is like his 12th. Mm-hmm. But what do you love about Enzone? I mean, that's what I love. I, lo- I love, like, the thematic play of language uh, and, and, like, how language is—the the world is constructed of, 
of all of those things of, of language. There's something he talks about in, um, you know, I'm a broken record about this. So actually that this may have been something that we've talked about on another episode, but I don't, I don't, there's something that he talks about in point Omega, which is another book of his where a character is writing a, uh, academic paper on baby talk and like how baby talk is the purest form of communication because all language is a technology that's developed um, that we have to adjust ourselves to fit within, right? We lose context of what we're actually saying by uh, adapting it to this technology that has been provided to us. Whereas babies don't have that. Babies just like... Are. Yeah, if, if a baby feels shitty, they just make a noise, right? And if a human feels shitty, they have to say like, well, I feel shitty because, and then you have to give reasons for why instead of just like doing like a primal howl, right? And the, uh, like, I think that that theme, which is in Point Omega, which is like one of his most recent books, is exists all the way back here in this book with this stuff, with German language stuff. But also, like, I like the way that... Um, you know, it, it uses language to close off communities, right? Like I said to uh, uh, to Meg when I talked to her, I said, I actually think that because you don't like football, you might like this book more. Or thematically, it might make more sense to you. I, I laughed when in part two, I forgot this line, but there's a little bit of, you know, we're talking about meta text, oh, postmodernism. He's yeah. just like, do we really need to have like a play-by-play of a football game? He's like, here's why it's actually important. Yeah. And like, it's not from Don DeLillo, but it's kind of from Don DeLillo. And it's just kind of like, here's why, even if you don't like football, because like most of the first part and most of the third part, even though it's largely about football, it's not about football. Right. It's set in football, but it's about humanity. Mm-hmm. And the middle is like, where is it football? But it's also football as a metaphor for other things, but like it's really football. Well, it's a football as a metaphor for other things while acknowledging that metaphors fail. Right. Right? Because you have um the warfare character. Warfare is warfare. Yeah, you have yeah. the character later on saying, like, football's not warfare. Warfare is warfare. We don't need something to represent warfare because we already have warfare. Right. But football like the language of football as a closed community, like, makes it sacred. It makes it uh, you know, ritualistic and magical. Cause What's crazy about football, and like they they do it here, but I think it's evolved even further, is the naming of plays. Mm-hmm. Like in Madden, it's just like all go, hail mary, like t- tight end curl or whatever. But here it's like z hitch y flank or whatever. Just like this doesn't mean anything to anybody, but it also means something specific and precise. Whereas you watch like a baseball game, and I was thinking about this while reading, especially given the language thing. You could watch, you could play an entire baseball game with nobody saying a word, and, like, you don't need to say a word. But in football, you need to know. And then the de-evolution of the football, like, when they're playing in the snow, Beautiful. it's just like... That is the, that, that's the, that's my favorite part of the book. It's just like, no, we, we're doing football, and they're like, no, we're not doing football. We're, you can only do this, you can only do this, and that. Right. You only have to, you have to announce the play. It's like, you can't even announce the play anymore. Like, you only run the ball. It's the stripping of every layer until you get back to the most primal, primal. version of self. And the most, most primal version of self is, again, the removal of technologies until you get to nothing, until, yeah. until, you've, until you've stripped away all language. And it's like, a- and Gary's also like commenting on that. It's just like, yeah, I got no arguments. Like that, that makes sense to me. Like he just he likes the, I think he likes not thinking because I think he's trapped in his mind of overthinking things. Just like, no, it's it's a running play, and it not it can't be an under it can't be a double end around, it can't be an end around, it can't be a fake. It's just this guy is doing it. And yeah, like it can't even it can't even you can't even be uh, uh, start like doing sweeps. You have to like go right up the gut. Yep. It's funny because, like, uh, something that I think of a lot is when people talk about, like, dumb jocks. I hate that because it's, like, with, like, football especially. I mean, it's true of, it's true of all sports. But, like, to be really good at football, it's, like, if you looked at those playbooks, I could give that to, like, a smart person. And it could take them years. Right. And, they, and they would never be able to yep. understand Just it or figure it out. Just different kinds of intelligence. Yeah. So, like, it's um, that's interesting, too, because it's, like... I think the intelligence that we tend to love and that, that we revere in society is the intelligence of um, of language yeah. rather, rather than the, the physical and the, the – um, actually, I mean, that that's not true. We, we love the f- physical intelligence. We just don't revere it as intelligence. Well, because there's also the thing in the football game where they're in the huddle and they call a play and one guy's like, I don't know what that means. They're like, where were you? He's like, I was at the, I was at the dentist. And it's like, oh, fuck. Okay, here's what you're going to do. <laughs> and like – it's kind of like learning a new word. Like, I don't know what that word means. It's like, we, we learned it last week. It's like, well, here's, in the, you were able to piece together the context of like, because mm-hmm. you have this 
institutional baseline knowledge yeah or just like go over there and do this thing like you have like the, the whatever but it's, it's cool like it's not it's kind of an abstract thing but also very straightforward of just like learning something new on the fly that because you have this whole like body of knowledge you just don't know what this one thing is you're able to piece it together when somebody's just like here's what you need to know yeah so this also translates directly to the war games that he plays yeah with the major yeah which, Which I, thought is, was, I thought was throughout, but it's only like the, it's last like two, three chapters. Like it's it's just one time. Yeah, it is. Uh, the, and, and that section is a functional uh, replaying of the football game, but in in a in a uh, war games context. Right. It's it's as alienating and as strange and as like language centric. I was laughing when they're like, all right, we got Comrus and AMAC. I'm like, West CAC, East CAC. Like it's the scene. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. The guy, but in this one, they're like. We're not even making like you know it's it's Russia and the U.S. Like even like saying it, it's just like you know what this is. We're just like kind of changing the name, so it's like a little bit fictional. But like, yeah, but the, it's interesting because he changes it to change the context so that you you have a different understanding of what they are. It's not quite home, right? It's not quite the enemy that we've grown to think. Even of. though like Tucson gets fucked up, and it's like, well, that's that's Tucson. Like we know Tucson. Yeah. Um, but there's all sorts of different things in there that, like, the players know that we don't know. Like, we, uh, you know, in football, we don't know what, you know, Tep Flex Right 2 is. Right. The same way that in, when they're playing the war game, like, we don't necessarily know what an aerial burst is. We can, like, create a context for it. Like, right. like the way that you can know the play, like, that's a run play, that's a this kind of play. But, like, you, it's it's very difficult to envision it because it's using this abstracted version of a thing and the war game functions almost in in the exact same way much of the appeal of sport derives from its dependence on elegant gibberish and of course it remains the author's permanent duty to unbox the lexicon for all eyes to see a cryptic ticking mechanism in search of a revolution which might as well be about war or literally anything yeah uh it's it's interesting like we're very protective of our language and of our closed systems right we call people posers when they invade our closed systems of language you know this because if you have an inside joke with someone then someone outside of your group tries to do that inside joke you're like what the fuck are you doing right why are you like that's our thing oh that person started saying it like that because i say it like that that's annoying we don't want people to do that we don't want people to steal our syntax or our or our uh delivery um unless they're very close to us and then it becomes interchangeable right we influence each other and the way that we speak and then it becomes okay because we exist inside this closed system yeah right like there are jokes that exist in the in in like our group threads that like don't exist out they wouldn't make sense outside of the group threads right and if someone tried to do that joke i would be like what the fuck are you doing right it did like you, you don't have the right to do that language is like that right if you think of things like um Something that I talk about a lot in classes, uh, like I'll talk about African-American English vernacular and what, what like in the 90s was called Ebonics, right? Which is like shat on by old white people as not being real or not being grammatical or not being whatever. But the way that you know that it is grammatical is because if ever a non-native speaker of that tries to speak it, you can call them out on it immediately. Yep. It's immediately inauthentic, yep. right? You can tell immediately who was not raised with that language because they don't know the grammatical rules. So, like, it is, this, there are rules for all of these different systems, and those rules are sacred and important, and it feels invasive when other people interrupt them. I think the scariest, one of the scariest parts of the book, again, about language, is when, what's his name, Zapalak? Zapalak, yeah. I like Zappalak. that guy. Yeah, Zap. I think he's a person of color, but I was picturing Bob Balaban, just like this tiny old man who's likable. Just like, I don't know why I like him, but I like him. Why do you think he's a person of color? I think, I think they mentioned that he's like, he is mistaken for being Indian or something. Oh, okay. I think. But maybe not. Maybe I'm conflating different characters. But I think the scariest thing in terms of what we're talking about, in terms of like shared history and common languages, he's recounting the book he's reading, right? Mm -hmm. And he's talking about, what's the word? monodanam the thing that's everything right and they yeah. talk about like this you know alien species that like lives way beyond us and time functions differently and whatever and then all of a sudden they just like deleted a word and just like we didn't the brain he says this duplication goes on and on for what we would call millenniums until suddenly without warning one of the words erases itself the brain didn't order this and doesn't comprehend it the word just erased itself and no longer exists there is no record of it and i feel like that's just scary to think about in any context, but I think also, this is a, a tangent now, but one of my favorite things that I've discovered in the last year through some friends and through some internet things is this thing called racer trash, right? Which is this 
online editing, rad radical online editing collective, whatever they call themselves. And they just like remix movies and they like chop them and screw them and like put all these filters on. And like they do these like this crazy art thing, which is like this like creative expression release during the pandemic. And they've realized recently, they've announced recently, by the time this episode comes out, it'll definitely be done that they're no longer going to do this. Like they're, they're stopping. And these things sort of live ephemerally only through Twitch streams. And they mm -hmm. don't archive them. It's just they're alive and they're gone. And there's something profoundly sad to me that like this beautiful art and this thing that like hundreds or thousands or however many people love or appreciate or cherish or whatever is just going to be gone. You know, this is a fictional thing in the book. This is like a, you could say it's like a dumb, just like entertainment thing, but just like there's something beautiful, but also deeply sad. I think about the ephemeral nature of just like one day things are going to be gone and like they're just, you know, no longer exist. There's no record of it. And just... Yeah, and I think in the con in the context of the book, the erasure of language equals the erasure of entire cultures. Yeah, right. Because it's again and again, uh, we we have like he hits on the point that like language is what defines this thing. So if you erase the language, you erase the thing itself. And I think that there's something to archiving and remembering and like spending time appreciating and being in the moment for things that you actually do enjoy, and. That matter. For sure. That have meaning. And it's just weird that, like, a guy in a book talking about a fake book that he read, <laughs> you know, who just seems to be this crazy old man. No, I, I like that character because he also, like, uh, is spot on about ideas about the state and the police and stuff like that. He's like, oh, the police are, like, here to protect you, but, like, they're much more likely to kill you than protect you. And so, like, very, like, ideas that are. Again, in a 50-year-old book. Yeah, 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 yeah. But also, you know, well, I mean, within 10 years of the civil rights movement, it's just like, it's pretty clear. Yeah, like, this book is is like very much of its time, but it's all because it's like, you know, also a book about the Cold War and about how like absolutely like Vietnam and the Cold War are like chaos systems, right? They they, they don't know. Nobody really it, like they all make sense because there's like traceable cause and effect for all of them. And if you like in, in, a, in a chaos in, in, in a like in the true chaos sense where you can like is actually kind of in some ways the opposite of what we think of when we think of chaos uh, where it's like everything is actually directly traceable to every single point. But like when you look at it, it looks like nonsense, right? Like everything is, is all over the place and doesn't make any sense at all because we don't have nobody has the full context for it. Nobody has the language to describe it because we just haven't been given those tools, right? Vietnam is like that. The Cold War is like that. And in a lot of ways, football is like that. Yeah. In spite of all that fear, though, there's also, I think, one of my favorite, one of the funniest things I think I've ever read in any book. And I don't know that it's, I think it's meant to be funny, but I don't think it's meant to be as funny as I think it is. I think I might have mentioned this to you when I was reading it the first time, but toward the end of the book, he's named Captain. We talked about that. Yeah. And he's telling his teammates and his roommate or whatever that, you know, he's Captain. Like He's just thinking about, like, what that means. It's a quote. He says, that means like, I go out for the coin toss. If coach doesn't object, I think I'll go out with my helmet off. I'll carry it rather than wear it. I think it looks better. It sort of humanizes the coin toss. Then I can put it on again as I come running off. And I think that's so funny because it's the dumbest thing to think about, and it matters so much to him. He's just like, well, because he's thinking, he's thinking in terms of symbols again. He's yeah. thinking like, like that's like a warrior type thing to do, right? I think at multiple points they refer to football players as warriors. Yeah, um, and and like, yeah, that that's like really really funny. What what else? Did I, there are a couple other things that I wanted to talk about. Number one, there's like a lot of violence in this book. Um, Someone shoots himself in the head. One of the one of the coaches. Uh, well, yeah, because a kid a kid dies in a car accident, and then like it seems like whether it's directly or indirectly because of that. Like mm -hmm. a week later, a coach shoots himself in the head and, die, and, and kills then, himself. And then our coach Creed uh, is there's something wrong with him. He's like slowly dying. It seems he like. runs up in a wheelchair. Um, the wife of the president of the university who uh, runs overshoots like her lightweight aircraft overshoots the runway, and she's in a coma for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, Tom. The, the the actual president of the university is already dead, right? Yep. So you have the this repetitive death. Uh, and, of course, uh, uh, Gary kills someone accidentally, I mean, on the football field um, when he was playing for Michigan. Yeah, I mean, in a, in a flashback sort of, right? Or pre, prior to the, yeah, prior to the narrative. But, but yeah. like, you have these, like, like a lot of a lot of really um, violent things happen over and over again. And they're, they seem almost weightless. Maybe it's because Peter Bogdanovich 
just died that I've been thinking about, like, the last picture show. And this kind mm. of feels like that, where it's, like, a small town where, like, not a lot happens, but, like, everything has weight, but also every- nothing really matters because it's just in the middle of nowhere. And, like, it's this weird kind of middle ground where it's what you're saying. It's, like, profound things that are irrevocable changes that also just, like, yeah, that's just that's what life is. And they just move on, right? And it's, you know, whether it's the last picture show or this or whatever, it's just... That's just what small town, that's just, that's life. Yeah. The other thing that I wanted to talk about was the, uh, someone that I was thinking of as a, as an antagonist within the book is um, when they're playing Centrex, one of the guys. The middle linebacker? I don't, I don't remember which one it is. It might be the middle linebacker, but he, there's like a string of racial slurs and homophobic slurs. Yeah, he's like uh, Jewish slurs, anti-black slurs, homophobic slurs, and he says them over and over again. And like that use of language re-identifies people in in a context that we have in the book not been identifying them as necessarily. Right? Bloomberg is trying to unjew himself, and then this guy attacks him with a racial slur. Taft is introduced to the book as a, as a black man, but he. His race is not an identifying – because I was thinking about that when we were talking about Guile Scopeboy and about Malcolm X and about, like, the three things you identify him as. And if you strip away two, like, Taft is not really black. He just becomes part of the team. Like, everybody's just kind of the same. Like, it almost doesn't matter when they're in the field. Like, he's more physically gifted. Right. It's not – yeah. And and that's important because the book is not realistic in that way, which is to say that, like – That's by design. Taft – yeah. Taft desegregating this school, his race would be, like, a much larger deal. The same way with – the rumors of there being a gay student would be a much larger deal. Um, none of these uh, characters are realistic in a sense. Um, you can think of like great, a great nonfiction book is um, Friday Night Lights, which is Texas football and it deals with race. And the main character in that book, Booby Miles, um, is like the future of Texas football. He's like a highly touted recruit uh, running back. Everyone in town loves him. This is like a profoundly racist town, but everyone in town loves Bowie Miles until he blows out his knee. And when he blows out his knee and he's no longer an asset to them, they stop caring about him and he starts to become the victim of racism over and over again, which means that when he was not being the victim of racism, he was still the victim of racism because he was just getting used by white people. Sure. Um, which is like you can make that argument about like a lot of professional sports in yeah. general, right? That like we've like sports has for a long time exploited black athletes. Well, it's like you think about specifically like the Utah Jazz, like Salt Lake City, a very white town. Like Carl Malone was their hero for like two decades, and like if he wasn't good at sports, yeah. I mean, you think of that scene in in Do the Right Thing where Mookie is talking to. Uh, to John Turturro's character, Spike Lee, uh, the director, is plays Mookie in the movie. He's talking to John Turturro's character, and he's saying, like, John Turturro's character has been really, um, really racist for the entire the entire movie. And he says, "Who's your favorite? Uh, who's your favorite singer?" And he's like, "Prince." Who's your favorite athlete? And I don't remember who he says, but it's another black athlete. Let's just say Patrick Ewing. And who's your favorite? And he keeps asking him who his favorite, and and, and like. Every time he asked him who his favorite so-and-so was, it's another black person. Yeah. And, and like, uh, John Chaturas say, like, you don't understand. Like, those people aren't black. Mookie's like, what? And he's like, well, I know they're black, but they're not black like that. So, like, that's like, in, in Friday Night Lights, it functions in that exact same way. They they get to view Booby Miles as, a, um, as an icon, um, but once he's no longer functional to them once he can no longer bring them joy yeah he becomes um he's a they 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 no longer have to hide the pretense yeah 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 and 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 so he becomes the the victim of of their you know they and they they no longer like are interested in him he's also the victim because this is getting way away from end zone but like he's also the victim because his entire life he'd been like passing classes because he was good at football and things like that. So he was never given any education because of his physical abilities. And then when his physical abilities stop and all of a sudden he's in English class as a senior, they're just like, well, you fail. And he's just like, what the, you never gave me the tools to pass. Doesn't have anything to do with Taft Robinson, but I'm saying, I'm I'm just saying like, this is also Texas football, which is significantly after when this book was published in the, in the uh, Friday night lights takes place in the eighties. So it's like, Endzone is not a realistic book, and it's not its not meant to be a realistic book. Well, symbolic of a lot of things, right? Yeah. I also think it's funny, and I think it's also, it ties into this conversation about after they lose the Centrex, they hire, like, a sports information director, basically just, like, to pump up the school's PR. 
And yeah. this guy knows nothing about football. He's just like, I just know stories. Right. Thunder, thunder and gore. Thunder and gore. Gary and Taft. And just like, but Gary's like, yeah, but I, I, I'm not good. Like, I'm not good at football. Like, Taft is good. Like, focus on him. He's like, no, but this is the story. And it's just like that same kind of thing where it's just like they're being used because they're just objects, even though the meaning for them is irrelevant. It's just like, yeah, they like being object like like in some way they they like being objects because they're reaping the benefit of of it because they get to play a game that they love. But like ultimately it's it reminds me, frankly, of yeah, I just like, we talked about this a little bit, but I just finished Emily Ratajkowski's uh, uh, book of essays called My Body. And it's like largely about the ways in which she's dealt with that, the ways in which she's like benefited from the use of her body as a supermodel, but also the ways in which like she's been um treated as like a total piece of shit because of that. Sure. Like, like people are incredibly mean to her because they I find her beautiful. They, they, they're, they're right. angry that she's able to capitalize on this. And somehow it's different when someone capitalizes on their body than when they capitalize on like, you know, you, you would never look at someone who is like super good at math and being like, you're just exploiting your ability at, of right. uh, being good at math rather than like, you're exploiting your ability to, to like look good in a bikini. Yeah. This is not, but it's ultimately not that different. Right. What's up with the end of this book? Oh, yeah. The that, last paragraph. I, you know, I don't know. So the last paragraph, I, I, I copy this. So the whole thing, it's just like he, because the book basically ends in spring of his sophomore year. He's going to become a junior. He goes to Taft's room. Taft's like, I'm quitting football. I want to focus. I can't get out of Like He's basically time shifted Gary, right? He's just like, I'm too focused on atrocities. I just keep reading about, you know, Holocaust and like kids in ovens. And I can't stop. I can't stop thinking about it. And like, I just need to focus on other things. And then which get, is yeah, which is a mirror to to like that's a mirror to Gary's yeah. own focus on on nuclear holocaust. Yeah. Like it's a more specific thing. It's it's interesting they they have so much in common and yet they've never talked. And 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 when they get into the room, they sit down and he's just like, "What? You're not going to talk?" And he's like, "We don't have to talk. I'll talk if you talk. No big deal." Yeah. But the last paragraph of the book, mm-hmm. after he goes back to his room, he's like, "You know, it's warm. I walked across campus." In my room at five o'clock in the next morning, I drank half a cup of lukewarm water. Sure, normal up. Okay. It was the last of food or drink I would take for many days. Huh? High fevers burned a thin, straight channel through my brain. In the end, they had to carry me to the infirmary and feed me through plastic tubes. End of book. Yeah. <laughs> what? I don't know. I don't know. And like, it's a very, very weird ending. Because it seems like because his past behavior would indicate that maybe he like got so laser focused on a thing that he like no longer took care of himself but it seems like he has a virus that he's like not in control of his own body but like i don't know what it means and i don't know if it needs to mean anything but like to end a book like that where just guys like yeah i got really sick he might may have died (laughs) we don't we don't know i mean he doesn't he he drinks the cup of lukewarm water then he doesn't eat for a couple days then he has a fever I think it's I think it's simultaneous. I think it's like he drank lukewarm water and got sick. I don't think from the water, maybe from the water. Maybe remember that I told you that story about my history teacher like leave a glass of water on your counter and for the yeah. semester and if you drink it, I'll give you an A. It's like it's going to be filled with bacteria. He's like, "Yeah, that's the point." Maybe he drank that water, got really sick. I don't know. He's like, "It's the last food or drink I would take for many days. High fevers burned a thin straight channel through my brain." I think it's happening at the same time. I think he's just like he went back, wasn't feeling well, drank water, got real sick. And then he had to be, like, fed through plastic tubes. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's just about, like... I kind of love it. The helplessness, the hopelessness of just, like, you can't control everything, you can't control anything. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Still weird, though. Yeah. Um, do you want to... Uh, what do you, you want to do, Meg's... Uh... Well, I want to do one other thing. I want one other note. Just like in prep, they play Assassin, but it's banging your dead and it's cool. Oh, oh, yeah. I actually... Yeah, that, that's something that I thought about a lot, actually. Because, again, that's a fucking language thing. Right? It's not like in, in Assassin you have to touch the person, but in, in this you have to say. It's it's about the sound. It, it can be about saying bang your dead, but then it becomes about the sound. That thing that boys do where they imitate the sound of gunfire, right? A sub uh, sub vocabulary um, just explosion um, that indicates something, right? It's a, it's a signifier for violence and, and people play at it. And there's something beautiful about that. And it, again, yeah, mirrors prep. I've played the game in prep. I think we might have talked about that, but like when I was at Rampo, like we played Assassin. Mm-hmm. It's fun. This just seems cooler though, because they're just like they're all just playing. It seems like this is well, it's more childish, but it's also more adult. I think. Okay. Because explain. there's because like, I think if your child is like, like you're like, you you missed, 
Either shoot me. You missed. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is just like, you can die every day. You can die 10 times a day. Yeah. It's just somebody comes up to you. It's just like. And there's pride in dying well. Bang, you're dead. And then like you, you, you fall to your death. And when he's killed from behind he, and he sees Taft later on, he doesn't know who kills him, but he hopes that it was Taft. Yeah. Because he's like, because they have a weird connection. And like Gary in his head is like, you know, I, I see a lot of people I could be killing, but I'm like, I want to make it meaningful. Yeah. And like they, they talk about the kid who like rolls down the hill. Yeah. It's, it's cool. Yeah, there's something beautiful about it. Yeah. Bang, you're dead. Yeah, let's read Egg's email. We have an email address, lottery at cageclub.me, and Meg apologized for the length of this email. I've been warned that this is long. First line, I enjoyed the act of reading this book. Not I enjoyed reading this book, the act of reading this book. I don't know what that means. I didn't read the email yet. Let's find out. Reading it right after Giles Gopoy was like a balm. However, when it came to the end, I texted Bobby to see if the version of the book I was reading was correct <laughs> or if it got cut off before it was finished. That reminds, like, the Bang Bang episode we were, we were just listening to, it, like, it ends in the middle of a bit. It's just like, it's a mistake. So I can see where Meg's like, is that, is that yeah. the end? Mm-hmm. When I finished reading it, my first, my initial reaction was dislike, and that dislike colored how I felt about the rest of the novel. However, the act of writing this email and thinking back on it has made me come around a little. There are about a thousand subtleties I subconsciously picked up on, but only realized when reviewing the quotes I highlighted. I apologize if this gets a little lengthy. Well, I can tell you right now, Egg, cut down on the apology. Let's just get into it. <laughs> That's like 110 words of just like, sorry, this is such a long email. Yeah, well, now we've now we've wasted many more words condemning Egg for apology, so... I guess I should have expected more subversion when the novel started out talking about Taft in such detail... But then we only have one conversation with him at the very end. Even though I think 2% into this, like, you know, the Kindle thing is like 2% in or whatever. One of the very first things I highlighted, maybe the very first thing I highlighted, and so Taft Robinson, rightly or wrongly, no more than haunts this book. Like the book right up front is just like, he doesn't matter. He's just, he's in the background. He, does, he matters the way a ghost matters. Right. He's, he's haunting us. Yeah. yeah. So it's just like, it, it puts him in a context. Mm-hmm. But again, if you're reading for the first time, whatever, who knows. I went into this after the first page, anticipating a novel dealt with that dealt with race, but it really didn't at all, which we talked about a little bit. The book reminded me a little of how I felt when I read The Man in the High Castle, in that it doesn't feel like a novel, but like something else. For me, Endzone felt more like a meditation than anything else. The fact that all the characters had the same kind of speech patterns, mm-hmm. and there were lots of moments when the dialogue had a chanting effect, like when Veach says, hit somebody, hit somebody, hit somebody. Or when Gary's talking to Taft and Taft says, silence, words, silence, silence, silence. Yeah, and you get re- you, there's a lot of repetition in a way, like when they talk about the details of the plane crash, too. They yeah. talk about her overshooting. I love that. And like multiple people come in and then they repeat the same thing and they go back and it, it returns. It's it's very much like poetry or, or like a chanting. Yeah. It's also funny times where like, because Gary's like, no, we haven't heard. And like, they, they just had the conversation. <laughs> Yeah. He's, just, he's just fucking with them or whatever. Or like, yeah. yeah, we know. Or like when they go down to the other guy's room and they're like, he's got the bug collection, right? And the one guy's just like, you tell him about the scorpion. He's like, okay, here's the scorpion. Okay, so you tell him about the, the beetle. <laughs> There's something beautiful about that because it feels real. Yeah. I, I also, this is has nothing to do with Egg's email, but just something that I, I really thought was funny was like, Every time that someone, like, goes to Gary for advice or something, he's just like, they're going to kill you, you piece of shit. They're going to, like, cut your head off and shit down your neck. Like, you're dead. They're going to destroy you. You suck and they're good. You're the worst. They're the best. You are you have no chance. And they're just like, are you serious? Like, no, I'm kidding. Yeah. Like, over and over again with that. Every single time. Yeah. Like, again, very smart, positioning himself as an asshole or dumb might actually be dumb. I don't know. But, like, he also is smart. He's just, like... No, he's not dumb. He has, like, perfect scores in, yeah. in the, like, nuclear stuff. He cares about what he cares about. Yeah. And one of the things he cares about is fucking with his friends. Yeah. Let's turn to Meg's 14-page uh, email. The book itself is interesting because you can see that Gary is, quote, othered by almost everyone in the novel. You can tell there's a distance, but DeLillo is able to do that without... Has she read other DeLillo? Do you know? Uh, no. You don't know where she no, has No, she gone. hasn't. She hasn't. Without making Gary's speech patterns different than everyone else's, the subtleness is impressive. There's a connection at first with Mina. Mina? 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 I say Mina. But when she gives into the, quote, responsibilities of beauty, he loses his connection with her. Parentheses, there's something to be said about the misogyny of that scene, but I can't be bothered to go into detail right now. <laughs> the only other character that Gary seems to have a connection with is Taft, which is because he is also, quote, an other. 
During their conversation when Taft is talking about, quote, atrocities, I couldn't help but think about the atrocities of Nickel Boys, the events of which I think could have taken place more or less than 10 years of the novel setting, this novel setting. Uh, yeah, within 10 years, sure. It felt out of place that Gary and Taft would be on the same page, talking about the same kind of atrocities, but I understand why it was done here. Mm-hmm. I think they're also taking the global look at it. Like, they're both, they're concerned things that are beyond just the mundanity of their small town. Yeah, and again, it's not, it's not a realistic novel. I looked for the last mention of Bloomberg, roommate, because I thought it might be tied in some way to the conversation above, but instead it ties into the concept of militarized, which is maybe the scariest word in the novel, because oh, it comes yeah. up in the beginning and toward the end, and too. It's, and he, and he, I, I agree with him. Seeing that word just written as graffiti is fucking terrifying. And just the word, like, he's like, I don't, any word that ends with I-Z-E, I do not like. Yeah. The last mention of Bloomberg is when he says Gary's ROTC manuals, quote, use simple declarative sentences. This refers back to when he was said he was, quote, reading aloud from a child's reader in order to relieve himself of the panic and stress he found himself in when he arrived at the school, saying that he, quote, wanted to start all over with simple declarative sentences. In this way, I believe, Delilo was saying without saying, a way in which the military takes advantage of those who are overwhelmed. Yeah, that's great. All, all, all that stuff is, is, is really smart. And I think getting to the getting to a lot of the ideas that we talk that, that I was actually um saying a little bit about baby talk and stuff earlier, which is this regression of language back towards a more simplistic thing, because as as language gets more and more complex, we get further and further away from what its actual goal is, which is to express what, what we feel. So like, you know, the, the complexity of military language uh, does exactly what Meg's talking about, which is it, it functions in an overwhelming way with the acronyms and with um, all of these ways to make places not seem like places so that you can destroy them and kill people. And um, you can provide them with uh, the acronym of, of Comrus instead of, instead of Russia, because Russia has people living in it. Comrus has statistics living in it. Right. Right. So it's like creates this like, uh, second world where it's the map instead of the territory right the map and not the territory is like a, a uh, famous phrasing so by complicating language you dehumanize and w- whereas like getting back to very simple declarative sentences from like children's primers and things like that will bring you more at home to to humanity and away from that overwhelmed feeling that the military can take advantage of yeah some other things I thought about while reading this email is already too long to go into more detail. Mina saying that beauty makes you, quote, almost become public property. Again, Emrata thing. Yeah, that's, that fits right in. Taking with Gary describing Taft as, quote, prize beef at the country fair, county fair, shows both, that's me correcting myself, not Meg, shows that both Mina and Taft talking about people as being owned, Taft escapes by stopping football and Mina succumbs by becoming beautiful. I like the phrase yielding an occasional touchdown only as the law of averages. It is lyrical but loaded with meaning. I don't remember any of the character names. Not sure if that's on purpose, but when we're told that Tom Cook Clark shot himself, I did not even remember that character existed. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're given a lot. I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like, and and it's another sports thing where you're like, if you, and we, we get it with, with fantasy baseball, right? Where it's just like, who the fuck are these people? There's like, you know, you ha- how many people do you have on your team in fantasy 25. baseball? 25 people. So everybody is 25 people. There's 600 roster players. Yeah, 600 roster players. We're supposed to know 600 people. No, not 600. That's I did terrible math there. 300 roster players. 300 roster players. So we're supposed to know 300 people plus prospects. So we and, plus, and, yeah. So you need to know five or 600 players and people who really know. I mean, I don't. I'm not. I'm not as good at this as as a lot of the people in the league. But people who really know. I mean, I could do this with hockey when I was a kid when I had more brain space yeah. for stuff like this. People who really know about sports know not only can not only name like every starting player on a team or an entire batting lineup, um, but they know like those players quirks and things like that too so like something that that Delillo is doing here by like giving us a whole bunch of names right out of the gate is like showing us that like names are signifiers for identity but they can also strip people of their identity by being again overwhelming right because at the end of the day in here it's like either coach or player and then if you're a player like offense or defense and like we don't even know most of the defensive players like we know like Taft and Harkness and like kind of their quarterback but not really and like we know other players names but like they don't know the kicker right is like gary bingham or something like that binkyak or something or yeah yeah uh, bing is, is yeah and then, and then there's the um bloomberg is a tackle but like it doesn't really matter like we don't see them we don't know what they do on the field like we know he's like you know the kicker kicked it off like that's that's mm-hmm. all it's not we, like he, we know bloomberg needs to work on his footwork right but yeah 
but no, I think I think to 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 Meg's point, I think that there is like this idea of naming as something that can be alienating in a book where um, a short book with a lot of characters where you don't necessarily get to know a lot of them and there aren't distinguishing characteristics like syntax and and different ways of speaking. Those names exist to give you an overwhelming sense of like, look, this is the community that they live in. But as a community, they all basically talk about all the same things. They wear uniforms. So they're all like interchangeable in this way. And, you know, some of them might kill themselves and we might not know who that person is. Yep. It's similar to the to the suicide in, uh, in Rules of Attraction, where it's like she she kills herself, which in the movie has made a huge deal out of and everyone's very sad of sad about. But in like in the book itself, they're just like some freshman kills herself in the dorm. Yep. And then like their lives just completely go on because it's like freshman. The identity of freshman is like so muted. And the idea of suicide and sadness is so muted because it's just like this is just the thing that happened. Spoilers to the rules of attraction. Eh, whatever. I like the scene where Mina is telling Gary about the book she's reading. and She keeps remembering things halfway through. It's probably the part of the book that feels the most, quote, real. Zap asking to be escorted to the administrative building for safety as opposed to the military professor who almost collapsed in pain in his leg instead of asking Gary for help. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. It's a good note, too. The concept of Robert Reynolds. Oh, yeah. That's funny. That reminds me. I, I, a long time ago. Robert I, Reynolds, very quickly, is just a character that, like, Zap's like, man, my kids made him up. And, like, he's in class, but he's not in class. I know he's not real, but I'm going to let them keep thinking he's real. And then when Gary's in the library and my, he gets Mina fully naked, they're about to have sex in the library, and, like, somebody walks over and she's like, what's your name? He goes, Robert Reynolds. Yeah. This, um, uh, I, in 2007, I went to uh, visit Kristen in her dorm, and I stayed over. And in the morning, I went to a science class. And it was one of those big science classes, and they passed around an attendance sheet. And I signed the attendance sheet as though I was there. And With your name? With my name. And then I visited her later in the semester, and I did the exact same thing. I signed the attendance sheet as though I was there. And she said that the professor started saying in class, Who the hell is Robert Fisher? What is... Who is this guy? <laughs> he comes to class sometimes. Sometimes he doesn't come to class. What is this? So I think... And Kristen, like, I think started signing my name. Like, when I was... I, I wouldn't be there, and she would just sign my name as though I were. So, like, over and over again, she was messing with this teacher in the exact same way that this was... This happened. That was really funny. I mean, I, I like that as a concept, too. This person that isn't there that has this name that exists, but he's, you know... He's, o- his body's occupied by multiple people. He's everyone and no one. Yeah. Present... The war games scene in the motel, it seemed weird and a little sexual. I think that's the first thing. It's just like, well, it was with the major in the hotel room. It's like, wait, what? That's like how the, that's how the <laughs> chapter starts. It's like, hang on a second. Like, this guy who's, like, trying to recruit you, like, finds you appealing in one way. All of a sudden, you kick off a chapter like, well, so I was with them in the hotel room. It's like, hang on. What's going on? I didn't see it that way at all. But I, I can, I can, you know, now that you're saying it like that, I understand it. But I didn't, I read that book, I read that section as just a mirror of the of the football section. Sure. But like an abstract intellectual version of it rather than the, the primal physical version of it. We get it. You're smarter than me and Meg. You're more attuned. I don't think that's true. I, I, I'm not saying that and I don't think that. Not completely, but the part where the major asked Gary to get something on the bed made me think about it. Questions from the same scene. What do Com Us and AMAC supposedly stand for? I mean, Russia. Com, and, com Rus and, and... Well, she made a typo here. Com, Russia and America. Yeah. And is the war game really even fair? The major set it up so only he knows how it ends. I don't think it matters. I think he's just there for the experience. Yeah. Um, right. Because the same... they're like, it's, it's 12 steps, and the 12 steps to read take about like 90 seconds. He's like, it takes three hours. Like, they're just like, it's part of like the reenact. It's just like LARPers or like Revolutionary War reenactors. Just or like, football. Yeah. Just like you're there. It's for the ritual of it. Yeah. It doesn't matter who wins. Yeah, Co- commerce is is communist Russia. Like like that that uh, if if that's what you're asking, like com com is communist, Rus is Russia. Um, I the uh, Amac is a little more abstract to me. American America. Once Gary becomes captain, he's no longer an other. Hmm. But he talks. But then he talks to Taft, one of the other others in the book, one who accepts his otherness. Directly after the conversation, we shift to the abrupt ending where Gary is seemingly deathly ill, which we right. talked about. But yeah. Close out, sorry for the obnoxiously long email. I know that didn't seem that long to me, no. but also we we were interrupting and doing a bunch of stuff. Also, uh, Taft is also Muslim, which is something that doesn't really come up until he's just like, oh, by the way, I have to face Mecca now. Yeah. Which is like something that is, uh, w- uh, again, it would be a big deal at the time, I think. They don't make a big deal out of it at all. Yeah. If you want to email in lottery at cageclub.me, join Meg, really a trooper in reading all these books. 
even if she hates sports. Doesn't want. Well, I I mean, the she loved uh, Art of Fielding and and I think liked this book. So we're the sports books that we've done. It's not like it's not like we're doing. I don't even know. I, I can't think of a sports book that's actually about sports. You know, like sports books are usually about something much, much weirder than sports because sports aren't about sports. Sports are about community. Right. Yeah. Did you think about making because it feels like this is a very easy movie to make? That's what. I've, I've I've heard people say that, but because of my focus on it being about language, making like like filming that football game destroys the entire purpose of that football game because like the, you have the author's intro where he's like, you know, the reason this is necessary is because it's it's because of the way that it gets described. Well, you could almost well, then what you could do is the way. So the last game of the season, Gary gets real high. Mm-hmm. Because mine is like, it'd be really funny and really, really interesting if you got real high. He's like, I can't do that. My timing would be all messed up. My coordination would be off. She's like, you should still do it anyway. And he does it. And that chapter is like three pages long. And he walks off. He doesn't. Well, he like kneels over, tries to take a guy's shoe off, and then leaves. The coach is like, what was up with that? He's like, I was hungry. He's like, nah, I don't believe that. But he never really explains why. Like, you could just do that. Like, you have a kickoff and like, you just cut, you finish it. Because like, I don't think, because again, the football game doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I, it's, it's hard. It's hard to say. I'm, I'm, I don't know how you could make it into. A movie. Um, again, it was going to be a movie starring Josh Hartnett. As Gary Hartness? Yeah, and Kat Dennings as mine. There's an age gap there between those two for sure. I don't know. Again, I don't, I don't, it's not a movie that I necessarily want to see. I think a reason I love this book so much is that it reminds me so much of one of my favorite movies, like five top five favorite movies, and everybody wants some. Right. Which is a Linklater hangout movie about a college baseball team in the 80s. Yeah. That largely like this a lot of this book takes place before the school year. Mm-hmm. Like that book or that movie ends on the first day of school and there's like a bunch of parties, but like the football players are the baseball players all show up. They have players only practices and they go to a couple parties the night before. And then like it literally ends in the first class of the year. And this like their school, but like there's a lot of them just like hanging out with themselves, like, you know, before like summer training camp or whatever. And then kids show up and that's whatever. I think, I mean, it's, I think it's easy. I think Linklater could make a movie like this because I don't think it's about football. I think it's about yeah. just like the brotherhood. It's a hangout book with nuclear tension. Yeah. Which I think like all of his things are about other things like that. You know, it's about a bunch of different things. So Linklater could do it. I think so. And he'd probably be the ideal person to do it because he also has um, pretty, pretty high uh, literary aspirations, right? He's adapted Philip K. Dick. He's adapted. Uh, Where'd you go burn a debt with him? Yeah. The less said about that, the better probably, right? Did you see that movie or no? I didn't. That's fine. I read the book. Liked the book a lot. Movie's Did, okay. Didn't didn't watch the movie because it I mean, Kane Kane Blanchett's not going to make a bad movie. It's just like a, I don't know why. Yeah, I heard that bullshit. Kate Blanchett won't make a bad movie. So who are you picturing as Gary or Taft or Mina? I, I I wasn't really picturing Gary or Taft or Mina. Cop out. Um, again, this is another thing where it's like the people that we. Oh, okay. Uh, um, you know, he's too old. But like Taylor Kitsch would have been a good Gary Harkness, not just because of Friday Night Lights, but because there is like a uh, he has a real physical presence and he has like a laid back kind of laconic delivery to the way that he speaks. Taylor Kitsch as, as Gary Harkness, even though he's like 35, 40 years old. Well, I, all these things are messed up. Like my, my guys are 30 or whatever. But I was thinking, I think because he's like I was trying to picture like a fuck up who's also like athletic and handsome and whatever and also kind of like. I don't know the word I'm looking for is here, but just sort of like aloof, maybe? I was thinking Miles Teller. I don't think he's athletic at all. I can't picture that guy being athletic. But I don't think, like, I think Gary, I don't know how athletic Gary actually is. He's good enough to play for Michigan, right? Yeah, I guess. But But I I, I just had in my head Miles Teller, and then I was just like, oh, we'll just get a fan four stick reunion. I was picturing Miles or Michael B. Jordan as Taft. Well, Michael B. Jordan could could play Taft. Also from Friday Night Lights. Yeah. Also too old at this point. They're but, all too old. Yeah, that's it's like impossible to because because these are all kids. So you can't, right. You're never gonna. And then I don't think it was fair to like cast Mina because it's just like who's a beautiful fat actress. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. I, I mean, again, yeah, I have no idea. That's it. it it's like one of those weird. It's things. unfair. And, I think. and then she has to like lose a bunch of weight. So I, yeah, I really have no idea. I don't think it's fair. But I was just thining like Miles Teller and Michael B. Jordan. But I also don't know that it matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, again, I, like I think something that I was thinking was um, cast it with a bunch of unknowns because it does not matter if the delivery is completely wooden. Yeah. Because the dialogue is wooden. So just say the dialogue like it's written. But the dialogue is like beautifully wooden. 
Right. But you're going to, yeah, it's like, it's you like, can't have, I don't, I don't know that you could really have non-actors. It's going to be like the counselor, right? Like the, like the criticism, a lot of the criticism of the counselor of which I'm a huge fan. And I know you're not that big of a fan. I don't see this been since theaters. Um, like, I don't really want to judge it. But, but like yeah. a criticism of the counselor is that it is, uh, the dialogue is unbearable because it, cause it's so like over the top stylized. And that's the same way that this is. Like people who watch this movie, they would just like half. You you lose half the audience by being a bunch of people that like don't understand what stylized dialogue is. Going like people don't talk like that. Yeah. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Although when people do have movies where people talk like people, people get mad at those too. Like mumblecore movies, people are like, "What are all these people with the fucking ums and likes? Why are they talking like that? They yeah. don't want that. No one's happy. Yeah. We as a people are miserable in general. Not me. I'm walking on sunshine. Should we try to call Matt? I don't think so because I don't think that they're a, I looked at like a bunch of covers and they're all yeah, sort of they, shitty covers yeah there's nothing interesting about any of these covers the one that I have is like there's like a palm tree on there yeah there's one of like the little square of like a football player in front of a mushroom cloud it's like yeah it's on the nose yeah yeah I don't think there's anything interesting about any of the covers so it's a shame he didn't answer for Giles Goat Boy though he had some yeah he was with uh, yeah he, he was no no him. no I was just saying he had some thoughts about it after the fact but I think he used the wrong word maybe he didn't no he said it was he was tawdry he said it was tawdry or body. Um, and he said it looked like someone had come in. <laughs> someone probably had come in that book. <laughs> we were on Twitter at Lottery Pod, on Patreon at Lottery Pod. Keep reading. Uh, yeah. Today's crime is um, uh, stealing a stop sign. The Eastern world, it is exploding. Violence flaring, bullets loading. You're old enough to kill, but not for voting. You don't believe in war, but what's that gun you took?